You are listening to Intersections with Phil Allen Jr., engaging the issues that matter at the intersection of race, culture, and theology. I want to close out this year in this episode reflecting on 2020 and and, and what we ought to have learned from it. You know, as we get closer to 2021, so many people can't wait for 2020 to end so they can get to 2021 as if the issues of this year respect our demarcations of time. In other words, when January 1st comes, all the issues we've experienced in 2020 are somehow going to stop and 2021 is automatically going to be a good a good year. But if we don't take the time to interpret the happenings of 2020, we will repeat some of the same things in 2021 and some of the same reactions and responses in 2021. So my question is, what has been revealed to you in 2020 at this intersection of race, culture, and theology? And I ask about this not just because this is central to this podcast, but each of these topics, whether you realize it or not, touch every aspect of our lives. Let's look at all three really quick. When we use the term racism or systemic racism, we use it because the tentacles of racism reach into every aspect of society. And that's because our society was built on a racialized worldview rooted in white supremacy. I won't get into that in in great detail in this episode, but it's rooted in white supremacy. And so the laws and policies reflect that. The laws and policies of this nation have always made sure that every part of U.S. society has been and still is infected by racism, by white supremacy, to be precise. And so this idea of racism, it literally touches everybody. As my professor Love Seacrest says, it is like the toxins in the air that we all breathe. It just affects us differently, whether you're white or black or brown or or Asian or native, what have you, it affects us in different ways, but it affects all of us, make no mistake about it. And this idea of culture, what is culture? By definition, culture constitutes the language, beliefs, values, norms, behaviors, and even material objects of a society that are passed on from one generation to the next. Nothing is apart from culture. The way we see each other, the way we see ourselves, the way we see God, and the way we interpret the world around us is through the lens of culture. I mean, whether it's the culture of your family, the culture of your ethnic background, your your community, the, the culture of the region of the country you live in, we all interpret the world around us through the lens of culture. You can't get away from it. We even have subcultures where there are specific characteristics of those groups, specific languages, language, beliefs, values, norms, behaviors, and material objects of those groups that distinguish them from the broader culture. And then this, this idea of theology. James Cone calls it God talk. It's our view or our understanding of God, right? What we believe about God 
actually affects our moral judgments, our ethics, the, the, the oughts of our lives, what we ought to do, ought not to do, consciously or unconsciously. We make moral judgments. We make decisions regularly about what is right or wrong, what we should or shouldn't do. And not everyone realizes it, but what you believe about God influences that. Whether you believe that there is a, a personal God, whether your God is Jesus, whether your God is uh, Allah, or whether you don't believe that God exists at all, it affects your ethics. You have a theology, whether you realize it or not. So these, these three subject matters, race, culture, and theology, the reason why I'm asking you, what has 2020 revealed you to you about these three topics, the intersection of these three topics? Because all of them touch every aspect of our lives, whether we realize it or not. So I'm going to share what I've learned as I reflect on 2020. This is simple. This ain't even that deep. But it's just further confirmed this year. Our nation is just as racist today as it's ever been. Don't get confused. Don't be seduced by the prosperity of black and brown folks. How many people can make it? Don't be confused by progress, by tokenism. We see some black folks here, some brown folks here, Asian folks in this position. Don't be confused. There is still this undercurrent that has emerged even more blatantly this year. It may look differently than it did years ago, but it's here. It may not seem as blatant and destructive as, say, Jim Crow, but it is the insidious nature of it, of racism today that makes it even more dangerous. It's the kind that you can't see. It's the kind where, that, that, where people can have plausible deniability. That's not racist. And to be honest with you, most people don't even know what, what is or isn't racist in the first place. They don't know what racism is um, themselves. That's a whole other conversation right there. So when I go down to, uh, uh, the, the list of, of what happened this year, some highlights of, of what happened this year during the last four years, uh, the, in the inhumanity at the border was center stage. And we, we've seen that. We, we've, we, we, we've, we've seen it on the news. We've heard it. We've talked about it. But this year, as, as, we, as we've been suffering through COVID-19, we, we hear the man who holds the most influential office in the world insist on emphasizing China virus. Let's start there when referring to COVID-19. That's not, that's not uh, by accident. He's not saying that just because it originated in China. And there are many reports across the country of acts of bigotry towards Asians of Asian Americans. His supporters, namely. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. That bigotry has always been there. It's just been given permission and simply emboldened by the racists in the White House. But it's always been there. COVID-19 exposed 
the impact of racist, racist social structures that have existed for generations because we see that black and brown folks are, are uh, uh, getting the disease at a higher rate and dying from them when they get them at a higher rate than others and native people because we make up a, a higher percentage of the essential workers which leaves us more exposed and more vulnerable to this virus. Another highlight. We witness uh, another flurry of videos and news reports of police and white civilians shooting unarmed black people. Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd come to mind. Among others, there are other videos that have, that have, that have surfaced. And we've seen the social unrest in protests, largely peaceful, but yet they were labeled violent because they are people who come from different part, different uh, groups, far right, far left, what have you, whatever, that come in and take advantage of the passion, the emotion, and they insert violence into the protests. And so now the, 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 the protest itself, Black Lives Matter, is labeled by many as violent, a violent group. I've had arguments um, with, with, with white friends of mine uh, and people who aren't friends of mine, um, pastors who have labeled, labeled BLM in these protests over the summer as violent. They don't support them. But I don't see anything posted now when these protests of these uh, Proud Boys or Trump supporters, when they protest in violence, um, it ends up being violence in those protests. I don't see anything posted then. Another highlight, the pandemic um, has caused schools to close. And then we, we, we see the reports, how it's disproportionately negatively impacting students of color who are already behind in funding and educational resources and, and opportunities. So this pandemic is not just about our physical health, it's touching other areas and it's exposing what we knew have already, already existed. It's further exposing the racial disparities, the advantages and the disadvantages, and who has them. We see white supremacist groups coming out of the shadows. People are, have been really for the last four years emboldened, but we see it this year. The election is, is, has been called into question for suspected voter fraud, even though no evidence has been presented that there's widespread voter fraud. And it just so happens to be largely in the counties that are made up of mostly black and brown voters that Donald Trump is, is, is protesting and wants turned over. So he wants millions of votes overturned and it happened to be black and brown votes so no other part of the country no other county the, the majority white counties that he won none of them could possibly have voter fraud only the counties that voted against him and they happen to be largely black and brown. I mean, we see it. We see 
Um, it touching every aspect, even sports, with all the protests in, in sports, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, what have you, soccer. Every area of our society is touched by race. Every area of our society has culture, was influenced by culture, has its own culture. In theology, whether you believe in God or not, you have a theology. And if you're making decisions that you think are right or wrong, if you're responding to something that you think is right or wrong, why do you think it's right or wrong? You're making moral judgments. And if we even go to, to the church, how has the church been implicated in 2020? And when I say the church, I'm talking about the, the evangelical church in the U.S. has become something very different. And I don't even know if I can say that. I don't even know if I can say that. Because even though the name may not have been the same name hundreds of years ago, there was still a part of the church, a large part of the church, that sanctioned slavery. Um or at the very least, was silent. Didn't say anything against slavery. There were a small portion of abolitionists. But for the most part, the conservative, moderate to conservative church said nothing. So I don't even know if, it's, if, it, if we can say it's something different today. During Jim Crow era, said nothing with all the lynching that were going on. Said nothing. Even many pastors sanctioned stood by segregation, that it was God-ordained. But there's something different, there is something different about Trumpism. And Trumpism is actually, in my opinion, it's the new Christian denomination with a cult-like allegiance and a deafening silence when it comes to social injustice or when it comes to a silence when it comes to any critique or criticism of its leader, Trump. But it's the new Christian denomination, in my opinion. This idea um, being spread by evangelical, predominantly white evangelical leaders, prophesying, and I got air quotes up when I say prophesying, that God is, a, this idea that God is on the side of Donald Trump. Spreading this blasphemy. And so you have this false God and false doctrine preached from the pulpits. Justifying policies, going back to the immigration. I remember writing a, a, a blog post when they used scripture to justify the policies at the border, how they were treating the kids and the families at the border, they, they, they inserted God in that. Or, or one thing that I don't know how many people realize, how many executions Donald Trump is um, wanting to, to, to have before he gets out of office. So in the next five months, there were two, I think, this month, and there's like three more to go before he gets out of office. But who... Traditionally, presidents hold off on, on, on these executions during this part of the presidency when they're, 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 they're leaving. 
But for some reason, this man wants to get as many in before he leaves. He wants to kill as many people before he leaves. It's almost like he's taking his frustrations out <laughs> on people. He wants to see people die that, that badly. Now, I'm not getting into whether or not they deserve the, 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 the death penalty or not. I'm just talking about the idea that in the, your last two months, you're making it a priority to execute, to get these executions done. Like there's something, there's something, there's something off. There's something wrong about that to me. They justify character. They explain away his behavior. So we have this new Christian standard for, for what, what, what we have as a religion that has taken its partnership with empire to a new low. So we've lowered the bar in terms of character, behavior. It doesn't matter. As long as those policies, as long as there's pro-life policies and protect the church. That's our guy. But this partnership with empire has gone to a new low. And so I don't know about you, but I know what it means for me. What does it mean for you? What does the last, the things I just listed, things I just shared, what does that mean for you? What, what does that make you want to do or change or be a part of in 2021? For, for those who can't wait for 2021 to come, my question is, why can't, why can't you wait for 2021 to come? Is it because you plan on being involved, being engaged and doing things differently? Are you, are you starting to see the world differently, see each other differently, see God differently, see yourself differently? Is there some calling, some weight that you now have, some burden you're carrying that when 2021 hits, there's going to be like a reset button and you're going all in for that? Or do you just think that when January 1st comes and we have a new year, things are automatically going to be good? I think that's wishful thinking. Because the choice is either to do and say nothing and blindfold yourself or cover your ears and pretend that all is well, all is going to be good. It's just going to go away. Everything's just going to go away and we're going to get back to normal. As if normal was good. Or you'll be resigned to the fact that there is nothing you can do. Or the third choice is what I think we all can do is while you begin to figure out how do you engage, how do you get involved, what are you going to do differently, that you begin to be those who create spaces where things are different. Because we're not going to be able to change every aspect of society because a lot of things are outside of our control. But you can have some influence in the spaces you're in. And so I'm trying to, trying to offer something where people don't think that causing change, making a difference is so daunting because you can be a part of causing change in the spaces that you're in. Your home, your job, your circle of friends that may not be the same when you challenge status quo in 2021. Your, your church community, your social media platform. These are the spaces you can create or facilitate that challenge what is happening around you. 
Someone asked me a couple of years ago, we were having a conversation. It might have been a professor. We were having a conversation. And we said, what do we do, man? What do we do? How do we change this thing? And I said, you know what? I don't know if we can actually change uh, all, of, all of society. But I do believe we can create more spaces where there's change. And just keep creating more and more spaces. Right? What are you going to do? If you're listening, what are you going to be a part of in 2021? If you're one of those people that you can't wait for 2020 to be over, then ask the question, ask yourself the question, why? What's going to be so different about 2021? The numbers? That doesn't change anything necessarily. Are you create are you courageous enough to create spaces that are counter to what your friends and family are comfortable with? In other words, you might lose some friendships. You might have some issues with family members. I know some folks that, that do. You know, see, part of what I try to do here is educate. I try to get people to start thinking. Not that I'm the only one, but if you come here, I want to try to get people to start thinking about things they hadn't thought about. Different topics, different areas. Get people to not only learn from a different perspective than theirs, but also offer the resources that they may not have, not, they may not be privy to. There's a reason why what happened to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, there's a reason why it shocked many people. Because they never knew this has been going on all along, like many of us do have. They never knew that. So a lot of people were shocked. There's a reason why some people didn't, did, did not know a virus could expose disparities along racial lines when it came to health care. Because they don't have to be aware of what doesn't touch their lives. Some of us have to live with this information. And so for me, this is one way where I'm going to create some space, some, some new spaces that those who don't know, don't hang around me if you don't want to know, if you don't want to learn. I've learned this. I've learned that while it is as racist today as it's ever been, that white people are going to have to be courageous. Some have, but not enough have been. I got white friends of mine who have actually risked their jobs for some things that they have said on social media, things that they have said on podcasts, blog posts they may have written because they felt like it was right to begin to use whatever platform they had to speak out. I know some that have risked and lost friendships because they speak the truth as allies 
as they've learned, don't, get, don't forget that part, the learning part, as they've learned, they begin to speak and share, and they've had, they've, they've lost some friendships, but not enough are willing. I've learned this year that white folks are accustomed to fixing things and that many have realized that they can't fix this and just move on from it so fast. And so I've seen many tire easily and fade and the year is not even over yet. And just six months ago, we were protesting and people were saying, listen and learn, listen and learn. And my question is always, are you still listening and learning? And my question to them is also, will you do the same in 2021 after the next video comes out? Because unfortunately, there will be more videos coming out. There will be more news reports coming out, as we've already seen recently this month in the shooting death of Casey Goodson in Columbus, Ohio. Will you do the same in 2021? Be angry and then get tired and then fade? Or will you be like some of my, my white friends who have stuck it out? They're in it. There is no turning back. They're in it. And they're deconstructing their own theology. Many in the church are deconstructing their own theology as we speak. What they've been taught and what they've learned all their lives, they're realizing it's insufficient or flat out wrong or is rooted in something that needs to be uprooted. That whiteness or white supremacy I was talking about earlier that the church has been historically entangled with. When the evangelical church decides to add justice to its priorities, only then will it become relevant. That's my my statement to the church, but my question to the church is, what will you do in 2021? Will you be courageous enough to risk losing members? Losing some tithers? Losing some influence? Losing some of your pastor friends? Will you be courageous enough in 2021? Did you learn anything from 2020? that will cause you to do things radically different. Because in my community, where we're dying, we have to do things radically different. We can't do status quo. And just because I may not be dying, I may not die, just because I may not be profiled today, as I had been years ago, multiple times, just because it's not happening to me right now, doesn't mean that I don't grieve because it's happening to people that look like me. It's happening to black folks. It's happening to brown folks. It's happening to Asian, Asian Americans. This thing called racism is affecting native people and Muslims. What have you learned in 2020? And if you're waiting for 2021, you can't wait for 2021 to get here. My question for you is why? What's going to be so different about 2021 beyond the number? 
beyond the one digit difference, what's going to be different for you? I'm going to end with that. I'm going to end with that. That thought. I'm going to come back next week. And we're going to look forward. We're not going to reflect as much on 2020, but we're going to look forward into 2021. I want to close out the year looking forward through a different lens. But I want to, I want to offer you a different lens to see 2021 next week. And so before I go, I want to remind everyone, my book, Open Wounds, is out. It's on Amazon right now. The book is not out, I'm sorry, but it's, it is on Amazon right now for pre-order. The book comes out February 9th, 2021. I'm excited. I can't wait for you to read it. I think it'll bless you. I think it'll challenge some. I think it'll be inspiring. I, I hope that it inspires people to tell their story. And I hope it does offer um, some insight as to where we can go and how we can get there. So don't forget, go out today. When you get off this podcast, go to Amazon and pre-order. I'm trying to, I, I hope to get as many pre-orders as we possibly can. Share it with others. But I believe this book will bless you. Thank you once again for joining me at the intersections, the intersections of race, culture, and theology. <laughs>